Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. Here are four key beliefs that every Christian should preach into the fiber of their being, into your bones. Four beliefs about God, four eternal truths that will guard against unbelief and therefore an evil heart and therefore apostasy, falling away from the living God. Here they are. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. God is great. God is glorious, God is good, God is gracious. I believe Tim Chester first coined these four G's, four eternal truths, all starting with the letter G. God is great, God is glorious, God is good, God is gracious. Briefly, this is what we mean. God is great, meaning God is powerful. It speaks to his omnipotence. It means that God is in control of all things. If I don't believe that God is great, that God is in control of all things, the idol that will manifest is self-control. Not self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, but I myself want to control others. I want to control situations, environments, cultures, and people. Because I don't believe that God is sovereign and that God is controlling all things. Romans chapter 8 says that that, uh, He is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, if I don't believe that, then I want to control everything. There there are so many commandments in Scripture that that pastorally I don't even know where to begin to encourage a person to obey the Lord if they doubt his sovereignty. Did you know so much of the Christian faith and certainly so much of the commandments of the Lord are all hinging on the principle, this foundation, that he's sovereign. Submission to authority is a big one. How do you submit to a tyrannical government? Well, in many cases, you don't. That's first. (laughs) They're not in line with the Scriptures, so you actually resist. Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. That's John Knox. But there are other instances... Where, where the government is doing something that is beyond their jurisdiction, but it's not necessarily causing you to sin. Well, one of the ways that you submit to authority in these kinds of moments is by trusting that there is someone that stands behind that human authority who is sovereign over it. And that even when people do evil things, God uses it for good. How was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? Right? It's not just obedience to commandments. Here's another principle. Forgiveness. Did you know that one of the motivations for giving, for forgiving people when they sin against us is recognizing, as Joseph said of his brothers who betrayed him, what you meant for evil, God meant for good? But if you don't believe that, if you, if you believe that God made some kind of cosmic pact with free will because true love can't exist without it, and that, that God is not actually sovereign over people's choices and people's behaviors, right? I mean, how, how do you submit to a sinner? All submission, all the biblical commands for children to submit to their parents, a wife to submit to her husband, 
people to submit to government, submit to church authority, elders, all these commandments to submit, they are terrifying if there's not a sovereign God standing behind these human authorities. Because every human authority, no matter how righteous, no matter how sanctified they might be, they're not perfect. I'm a sinner. One of the ways that my wife is able to confidently submit to me is not because she knows Joel never gets it wrong. It's because she knows that even when I get it wrong, God intends that for good. That God is sovereign over Joel. So she submits to her husband as unto the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters and work as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's all in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? It means you're doing it for the Lord because you see that the Lord is the one who is standing behind every single one of these authorities. It's ultimately his authority. And that's the beauty. That's the encouraging truth is that when human authority gets it right and you obey, you're blessed. And when human authority gets it wrong in the times where it is biblical to submit, you're also blessed. Even then, you're blessed because the Lord is sovereign over human authority and he is sovereign over their successes and their failures. And he is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, a.k.a. God is great. When I believe that God is great, it frees me from the idol of control and it allows me to obey him, particularly in his call to submit in ways that I could not before. If you're wrestling with submission in whatever area of life, it is very likely it is because you don't believe that God is great. If you despise God's sovereignty, you will despise submission to authority. God is glorious is the second one. God is glorious. This is not just that he's great, meaning he's omnipotent, he is sovereign, he's in power over everything. But God is glorious. It means that God is weighty, that what God has to say about me is more important than what I say about myself. And it's more important than what man says about me, what others say. That God's opinions, his thoughts, his feelings about me reign supreme. He gets the final word. The word glory in the Bible means weighty. So many of us are, are enslaved to the fear of man, the approval of man. Do you know what the antidote to the, the, the fear of man is? The fear of God. That's what Jesus says. He says, do not fear man who can kill the body, but after doing that can do nothing more to you. And you think, oh my gosh. All right, so Jesus is about to give me the secret of not being afraid to be a martyr, not being afraid of people, not, not just persecuting me, but persecuting me unto death. All right, I'm all ears. Jesus, what's the secret? Here's the secret. Fear God who can kill you and send you to hell. Wait, what? I thought it was going to be more comforting than that. But that's the secret. The way, the antidote to the fear of man is a greater fear. That God is to be feared. He's God. Better to be you're on, on God's side, you and God against the whole world, than you and the whole world against God. That's what frees us from not having to care what people think because we know that we are loved and approved of by our Heavenly Father. That we know that in Christ, in the Beloved, that, that God is pleased with us. And that God's Word about us is weighty. It's glorious. It outweighs all the opinions of men. So if I don't believe that God is great, the idol is idolatry. 
Or the idol is control. If I don't believe that God is glorious, the idol is the fear of man, approval. If I don't believe that God is good, the third G, then the idol is pleasure and comfort. Now, when I say good, what I mean is good in the sense that God satisfies. I'm thinking of the Psalms that say, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy. So when I say that God is good, I'm not speaking of God being good in in terms of him being loving, which the Bible does say. But we're going to save that for the fourth G, God is gracious. No, we're saying God is good in the sense that he satisfies. God is good like a bone-in, cowboy, dry-aged ribeye. God is good like that. He satisfies. See, see, some of us, we believe that God is gracious, that he loves us in the midst of our sin, that he's forgiving. You believe that God is gracious, but you don't believe God's good. So you know what that means? You'll go to God for love, you'll go to sin for fun. I'll say that again. You don't go to sin for approval and acceptance and love. You don't go to sin because you think sin will be gracious to you. You go to sin because you think sin will be good to you. You think that sin will satisfy. You think it'll be exhilarating. That it'll be fun. And sin is exhilarating. There's a reason why we do it. We're dumb, but we're not that dumb. We don't just do it with no benefits. The problem is they're fleeting. Sin is like cocaine. It's like heroin. It, it, It satisfies for a moment, and then it leaves you more empty. We were just reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe last night with our girls. It's like the Turkish delight that Edmund, it's so good, but then his face begins to contort and change. He's miserable. It actually has a physical effect on him, and it leaves him wanting more. And, and, and the chapter actually says that, that if someone would be allowed to, they would eat all the way until they died. They would kill themselves. They would not be able to stop. That's what sin is like. So it's not that sin isn't fun, but it's that, that it's, it's, it's exhilarating, but it doesn't fill us. There's certain food that you can eat, right? That it's like it tastes good, but it doesn't satiate. Or if it does, it wears off very quickly. There are some meals, you eat this type of food, you'll be full for six hours. There's other types of food you eat, and you'll be hungry in 30 minutes. That's the difference. Taken to a macro infinite level between sin and God. So the third G is that God is good. Again, not speaking of his love. We'll get there. But that he is satisfying. The idols is pleasure and comfort. If I don't believe that God is good, I will be an idolater of pleasure and comfort. Pleasures and comforts are good. There's nothing inherently wrong with with all pleasures and comforts. Some are wrong, but some are appropriate and right if they are to be received with thanksgiving. But what we have to recognize is that they're only satisfying because Christ is the joy in our joys. That Christ is the ultimate pleasure and comfort. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter. God is the one who satisfies. And when we enjoy things in this life, we enjoy them with thanksgiving, looking to Christ as the ultimate satisfaction. The joy in our joys. If not, the idol is pleasure and comfort. Some of you, you, what you look to all year long, what gives you purpose and meaning and satisfaction is traveling. Some of you, it's, it's money. Some of you, it's, it's, I don't know, this couch or, or this show, right? For some of you, it's TV, the end of the day. If I could just get home and have quiet and watch a show. For some of you, it's food. For some of you, it's drink. 
There are all different kinds of pleasures and comfort. For some of you, it's, it's, it's um, thrills. It's adrenaline. Right? If I could just skydive, if I could just bungee jump. Right? There are different kinds. You can have a, 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 a pleasure and comfort-aholic who is 300 pounds overweight, and they get pleasure and comfort through eating and sitting on the couch. And we think, oh, yeah, that's idolatry. Well, let me say, you can be going to CrossFit every day and, and traveling and have your beautiful Instagram page, and that can be pleasure and comfort idolatry as well. Okay, it works both ways. Last, God is gracious. This is where we see his love, and his love even in the midst of our sin. The idol here is not man's approval. That's glorious. God is weighty. His opinion outweighs the opinions of men. But here, God being gracious is so that, that the idol is significance. And there's a difference between man's approval of me, what others, others saying something positive about me, versus me having a positive view of myself. That's what we're talking about here. The idol, if I don't believe that God is gracious, the idol is going to be my own opinion of myself, my own self-worth, my own dignity, my own value, my own significance. Some of you, you don't care what people say about you. You're not a man pleaser. You're not given to the fear of man. But you do desperately, desperately want to be significant. And, and here's the deal. You might be, well, what's wrong with that? Let me distinguish terms here. You should want to be faithful. And faithfulness is significance in God's view, in real terms. But, but some of us, the significance we want is beyond faithfulness. We're not content to merely be faithful in the station of life that the Lord has assigned us. Faithful husbands, faithful fathers, faithful mothers, faithful workers, faithful church members, faithful with this and faithful with that. No, no, we want to, we want to be significant in the sense that we want to be big can't remember who, who said it, but the quote goes something like this. Um, it's more important to be a good man than a great man. The world is filled with people who want to be great men, but few of them are good men. Be a faithful man. Be a faithful woman. And trust that ultimately your significance is in the fact that the God of the universe gave his son to die for you. It's his grace. It's his word over you. It's his approval over you. So you don't have to be given to the, the, the idol of man's opinion, but you also don't have to be enslaved to the idol of your opinion. Some of you, even when people encourage you, when everyone in your life is saying, we love you, we think you're great, you're still miserable because you don't think that you're great. Here's the beauty. Here's the liberating truth of the gospel. People's opinion doesn't matter, and neither does yours. You don't think you're great? So what? I mean, that's, even, that's kind of like a catch-22. I don't think I'm great. Good. If you're not great, then your opinion doesn't greatly matter. You're free. God's word. God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. By believing these truths, it frees us from idolatry. And when it frees us from idolatry and reorients our desires, finding these things in God, the right things, then we think differently, we feel differently, we live differently. This is the indicative of the gospel, who God is, what we believe, that flows out into the imperative of the law, how we live. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.